Hey, welcome everybody to another Conversations podcast. Bucky and Ben here. Hey, good to be with you guys at Watermark. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we got a special two-part election special. So uh, here we are at the day of recording. We're three days out from the election day. And uh, I don't know, Bucky, what's your what's your hot take? What's your gut reaction now, uh, well, three days removed? I think it's unprecedented. I don't think in my lifetime we've ever been in a place after election and three days after not knowing who the next leader of the nation would be. So yeah. it's unprecedented. It seems like there's a lot of anger and frustration mm-hmm. that we don't have answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of questioning about the process. Was, did it have integrity or not? And so generally people are really uh, full of unrest yeah. and uh, the conversations are hard. Uh, the conversations are difficult with people right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you think it's, uh, we have a mutual friend here. Some of you church members who are listening know Gene. Did Gene, ta- did Gene talk about it this morning at all? Did you talk to Gene about it? Oh, uh, yeah. Gene talked this morning about it. And I, I actually was really uh, pleased with the way he's been handling it because yeah. he's actually, you know, turned off the, the news feed to his mind. Mm-hmm. And he's actually been in more of a place of prayer. Uh, the great line that he has is that God's in charge, God's on the throne, and the outcomes belong to him, and that's right. allowing him to be actually that non-anxious presence mm-hmm. that we want to be. Right. And so I really affirmed him for that. That's awesome. He was the one, though, on the practical side that was saying it would it could be a lot like Florida, I think it was 2000, Gore, Bush, mm-hmm. and that, that took some time as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Was it, what did it take three days? Was it at least one day, or not three days? Or? I think it was a little longer than that. Yeah, this feels so. feels heavier and weightier for some reason. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. you're right. That is, it does. Yeah, that's what I keep trying to drill down in my head. Why, for myself and for so many others, does this feel more cataclysmic than any contentious race ever, with fewer technologies, fewer refinements in the voting system? I mean, there had to be one election 100 years ago, or you know, more where it was more dynamic, more complex, but. We all would agree this one feels more cataclysmic. Yeah, it sure does. And I don't know whether that's because we think that the diversity of choices means significant changes on one side versus the other. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And yeah. there's there's a, a bigger sense of win-loss in this one versus, hey, we're still we're still together going down the same road mm-hmm. with a different, maybe a different type of leader. Right. We're still going in the same direction, but it feels like these are potentially opposite directions for people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what causes a lot, a lot of fear. Yeah, higher weight of win-loss. I think yeah. that's huge. Um, it's definitely emotional. It's highly emotional. Um, highly divisive still continues. Um, I think one of the things I'd say in the intro, we have a great format for these part one and part two episodes, guys. In part one... It's all thought. How can we, how can we, what are the options for us to think about this? How do we, how ought we to think about this? How could we think about this? And the part two is going to be about action. So you're going to want to pay attention, stay tuned and listen when that episode drops. Um, So we're going to get into that structure in a second, but right now we're just, this is just all personal opening comments around three days out from election day. How are we feeling? What are we sensing? I think the thing that floats to the top for me, Bucky, is this idea Again, and as always, guys, we're just going to speak to our Christian base. If you're a guest and you're not from this tribe, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You're here. We hope there's something fruitful, beneficial, encouraging for you, listening in on this family conversation. But truthfully, you know, and that's our jobs. That's why we don't talk about politics per se, from the pulpit at least. Because our jobs is to point people to Jesus, to form people in Jesus, to make followers students of Jesus, and to reach those who are sick and dying and, and, and spiritually, physically, emotionally, and to reach out to them and give them the hope of Jesus. That's it. Like That is our why for existing. 
So I know you agree with me, Bucky. But, yeah. Um, so we'll, you know, I want to go there first, not what they, them outside this camp are doing or responding, but there's something that concerns me deeply, gravely inside the Christian camp. And it's this, and as always, I, I, I see these camps represented on my Instagram feed. And there are essentially two polls. There is the there are my Republican friends or conservative friends on Instagram, and my uh, Democrat or, or or liberal friends on or, or or popular influencers on Instagram, and they're both saying the same thing. They're both saying about the other side, Christians, and both the common denominator for both of those people is that they're Christians. What they're both saying is, I don't know how a Christian can justify voting for Trump or Biden. Biden. Both sides. Yes, yes. I don't know how they could vote for either side and still be a Christian or justify their action as Christian. And I just, my goodness, the level of demonizing, the level of dissension inside the camp, inside this Christian tribe of how we have to make such an out overstated critique of our fellow brothers and sisters. That's who they are in Jesus. They're brothers and sisters. Um, that we feel compelled to make a proclamational, because that's what Instagram is. Social right. media platform is a proclamational statement, mm-hmm. an announcement, a very public and broad sweeping statement that I cannot believe um, that a Christian could vote for Trump. And I, and I don't know how, and, the, and that's so bad for the church brand and the church name, a Trump, a Christian Trump supporter and vice versa, you know, a Biden, a Christian Biden supporter. What do you think is behind that? What is that? How, what's instructive for us on that? Well, I, I think it's sad uh, for me, too, because I'm involved in the same debates, and I see people do that, and it uh, it saddens my heart for the division in the church when actually the failure of our political system, so to speak, should be the place where the church shines, actually, and mm. provides an alternative, alternative community right. versus the divisiveness and the judgment uh, that's happening. I would say the reason that that's happening is because We've made our political parties uh, and our political stances more important than following Jesus. Right. And we actually think it's Christian to m- take this, this stance in our party and to die on that hill, that one, one thing. And as a result of that, it's about winning or losing an election, and then it becomes pointing the finger at somebody else, which I think— uh, is really a log in the spec issue mm-hmm. because I think uh, both sides have strengths and weaknesses. Both sides fall short of the kingdom of God. Both sides have some positive stuff. Jesus would have critique for both sides. And so rather than pointing the finger, uh, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, look at the, instead of looking the speck in the other person's eye, first of all, look at the log in your own and take care of that. And mm-hmm. I think that would be the humility and the introspection and coming to the table with that kind of thing would allow for real dialogue and healing and actually unity in the body of Christ. Right. No, that's really profound. Um, <clears throat> this should be a safe place in intramural, to have an intramural, to use Tim Keller's word, an intramural debate about the candidates we like and support. Riley keeps asking, is there such thing as a Christian vote, an exclusively strict Christian vote? And the answer is No. Because clearly there are Christians that are voting for both sides. And, and yet we have acted like there is only one Christian vote. Right. And that's a, that's, it's, it's, so it's, and that leads to a division where we're not safe to belong in the same church, the same street, the same neighborhood. That's the next thing that really has perturbed me and grieved me. You talked about the healing process and the harmonizing process. As, again, we're just talking about 
you know, Christians in our camp because that's that's we can speak to them. We can challenge them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the another friend and neighbor and Christian came up yesterday and said, you know, that she tried to post something on her account about unity and just man, you know what? We're still going to be neighbors after this. Right. We still have to live next door to each other after this. Right. And someone had responded saying, uh, no. I, I will never look at my neighbors the same. And I, basically, they're cut off. They're dead to me type of ethos that, that you know, wow. So you can't yeah. even come out on your platform, whatever it may be, maybe in your family, your community, your neighborhood, definitely social media, and say, we need to work towards healing this land and harmony and unity without even that being an unpopular idea. That's where we've arrived at. That's yeah. the level of toxicity we're at right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really challenging place to be. And that uh, leads to a church that is really uh, inwardly focused around a certain issue, mm-hmm. becoming an echo chamber, becoming all about this platform or this party, and losing its ability to actually reach the lost and the hurting and the broken of this world. And I think that's what, um, you know, centering our Christian thought, and we talked about this earlier, Ben, keeping the main thing in the, the main thing. Like, what is our mission? Is our mission to get a political party uh, in control of our, of our nation? Or is our mission to proclaim the kingdom of God right. and reach people for Jesus regardless of their political affiliation? Mm-hmm. And so I think we've lost our focus a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Uh, we've taken our eyes off of the main thing, the focus, the mission. Uh, we've made this election the mission. Uh, I couldn't agree more that we've made it so central. We live and by, we live and die by that. We're highly emotionally tied to our heartstrings. I mean, it's the whole Jesus' whole thing. We're going to get into this in just a second. Jesus' whole thing is heartstrings, and it seems like the evidence all around us right now for just again, we're just talking about Christians, is that their heart, uh, their investments of energy, and um, and belief and faith, trust. What are we trusting? Jesus is constantly going after that. Have you put your trust in money? Have you put your trust in government? Have you put your trust in religion? Right. Put your trust in me, the Son, and in this kingdom. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a defining moment right now. Those things grieve me the most, and I think those things rise to the top. We do have to to get to health. We do have to get to healing. And, uh, you know, I think that one way as we – let's pivot now, and we're going to go to thought. Here are some helpful things, two or three things we want to give you guys in part one of this episode – is uh, thought patterns, worldview, lens, a lens by which to see this. this is an option for you. Uh, we think it will be helpful, encouraging. But one of the first um, things that, you know, and we'll link to this other show in the show notes from um, Mike Erie's Vox podcast is the statement, Bucky, and you can unpack it for us, is the politics of Jesus is not voting once a year. It's voting every day with your life. That's tied into what we were just saying. Because if you believe it's end-all, be-all, then that is understandable that you think it's over and it's done because of one general election decision vote. But no, 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 no. What about the other 365 days a year, right? Yeah, and I think that uh, the word politics in America, we think of the American political system. We think of a two-party system. You're either going to vote conservative or liberal, Democrat, Republican. That vote happens every two years, every four years for the president. That's what politics mean. It's getting the right platform and the right people in the right positions so we can move forward an agenda. And really, the word politic is a word that goes way back to ancient Greece, and it talks about a, a community of people that are formed around a structured life together. 
And Jesus talked about that. His body politic was the church. It is the kingdom of God. Those people that are formed around his rule and reign under the kingdom of God. So it's getting a vision, a political vision that's way bigger than American politics. Mm -hmm. It's understanding what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and to be a part of Jesus's body politic and to realize we don't vote at a ballot box. We vote with our life. We vote every day. And that empowers us. That's way bigger than, that makes that four-year vote very small with regards to the kingdom of God and what's happening here now and how we can participate in that, how our votes can make an eternal difference. Wow, that's exciting. So that takes us out of the doldrums and gets us focused on something that's very, very powerful, eternal, and transformational. That's really good. So beware, we put it down here as kind of a negative statement, but beware of how these thought patterns are playing out for you as you're listening, wherever you're listening right now. Maybe it's a very subconscious level for you, but you, you've said something like this in your heart or your mind. Great. And the outcome, again, three days from the, from the election day is still not clear, but it will be here very shortly. And beware of this thought pattern. We lost or we won the election. Now we have to wait another four years or two years if it's a senator or a governor. Now we have to wait another four years. Beware of that lie. That's a myth. That's a cultural mythology. That's what the enemy wants you to think when we've gotten too much of our passions and energies and faith installed in human, man-made government instead of the things of the kingdom. Now that's a wonderful segue because the second thing we want to point to is this idea that, and this will be an encouragement to you and a reminder, guys, even though we find ourselves in election season, the truth of the church and the Bible is that governments uh, can't fundamentally change things because they only they never go heart deep. I'll say it one more time, then I, you can cite the author of that idea and then go into kind of Jesus's way of formation. But governments can't fundamentally change things because they never go heart deep. They'll never fundamentally change things because they can't go beneath the surface. How does that contrast with the Jesus model of formation, Bucky? Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, a, a true statement. I think we heard that from John Piper, who's a great uh, Christian man and teacher, pastor. And it's just reminding us, because we think that the way to change America is to vote the right government in, have the right laws. And governments deal with laws and systems, and those things are important. The Bible says that those are God-given, uh, God-ordained. God and we are to submit to those structures. Uh, They're here to reward good and punish evil, but they can't fundamentally change the heart. As somebody said, you can't legislate morality. I mean, laws are important and want to have those laws, Mm -hmm. but if we really want to change America, we have to change the heart. Mm. And and Jesus talked about that, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. The the Pharisees were, were kind of that outside governmental Hey, if you, if you obey the law, you're going to be righteous. And Jesus says, you need a righteousness that goes beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees because it's a righteousness that comes from the heart. It's not outside in, that law-driven, outside in. If I change laws, then I'll change the culture and I'll change the people. Jesus would say, no, you need to change the heart. And out of the heart will come the right kind of government, the right kind of laws, because it will come out of a heart that's connected to God mm. and his, 
his morality, his righteousness. Yeah. And so it's fundamentally two different things. The church is in the heart change business, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're about, right. and that should be our focus. That's really helpful. I've had even my men's Bible study, and I know it's only a reflection of a broader Christian question, is how do we legislate morality? That, that, that question's come up several times in our Bible study, and I think that's just, you just nailed it about how we, there is a way to legislate morality in one sense, but it will only ever go skin deep. You can't truly put the Bible on display and say, this is going to be our model for American government. It just won't work. It's a secular government at its, at, at its core. And I want to take this even to a very practical, specific policy issue that has been particularly on the hearts and minds of our conservative friends and neighbors. That's where we live. So um, uh, wherever you're coming from, we're, we're filming here, recording here in Orange County in a church in Costa Mesa. And a lot of the pushback that I hear from my conservative friends against Biden, against the Democratic Party, is that those votes are votes for abortion. They are, you know, they are, they are abortionists. They are you're killers. You're killing babies. You're taking life. God is so clear. His heart is against murder, certainly of the unborn. There are millions of lives. You know, we have to change this. We need to legislate this. Okay. And we would say, fine. Yeah. And, and we would even agree, yes, be pro-life and pro-life at, in every phase, in every area of life, by the way, not just for the unborn, but how about, you know, um, elderly and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, but the, here's the point I want to get at. If we let's just let's do a scenario where I think we can prove this righteousness from the inside, right? Mm-hmm. Heart level change versus society level, um, uh, legal level, right? Law, because right. that's what we would have in this mm-hmm. abortion argument. It's to to outlaw abortions at any term during right. any any term of pregnancy, right? That would be the per, that would be the dream for the Christian, right? The right. conservative Christian. Well, right. um, and that would probably save some lives. Right? I mean, let's just call it what it is. It would drastically cut it down from two, three million, whatever the number is. I don't, I don't know where that number comes from. Maybe that's over four years. I don't know. And it's terrible. It's awful. But period, right? Would people still find a way to have abortions? Oh, definitely. I mean, that, that's and, the and map, That happened right? before the law, right? right? I mean, people, when it was illegal to do that, people found ways to do that right. through black market or behind the, you know, just like prohibition, you know, if people want liquor, they're going to find liquor. If right. people want to have an abortion, there will be somebody if they have enough money to do it for them. Right. Which, by the way, just before people go there, especially our conservative friends who are listening and watching, that's not uh, an added... Uh, get off free card to not lobby for these things for life and to care for them and support them. Uh, That's not the point. In fact, we acknowledge that, that it would probably objectively save lives. Our point is this, and I'm going to go on to make it right here in a plain statement. Considering that fact that not just, it's not a hypothetical. We have countries and evidence today that show people will find a way to get it done. If they want it, they will find a way to have an illegal and maybe even dangerous abortion. We know that is true, right? Yes. Um, what we want to focus on is the relational heart change of that mom, of that couple, of that family, regardless of the demographic they come from, whether they're poor or wealthy, whether they're inner city or they're suburbia, wherever they're coming from. We want to get at the heart of that woman, the heart of that family, the heart of that household, that couple, married or unmarried, young, old, whatever their ages, whatever their situations, we want to get in their lives. And we want to have a chance at affecting the, the symptom of how did we get here in the first place? A baby is a symptom of how did a couple uh, find themselves in this intimate situation and decide it was okay to uh, sleep together, give their bodies to one another, to, to practice intimacy outside marriage, outside of a family that could receive a baby, that could take care of a baby, right? That's, the, that's part of the yes. thing that really plagues yes. me about uh, this abortion debate is that it's source symptom. Legislate the fact you can't legally get an abortion, you're still going to have the source issue. This, this is a parallel with medicine, right? 
We all know this. We want to treat the symptoms of our physically bodily pain with pain, pain meds. Just get pain meds. Well, you're going to be treating the symptom, not the source. I believe the church should reconcile ourselves around that. That even if we were to legislate our morality and abortion, we would not settle the term. We would not settle the heart level issue of uh, how did we get there? How did we become pregnant in the first place? Yes, and I think this is what you're talking about is something that we've talked about is that we need a bigger vision than one party can give us. Mm. We need a, a, a stand, it's, we need a, 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 a vision that's bigger than our political stance even. So uh, the law and order party, which may be the Republican party, would say, let's legislate and say no more abortions, which we're all for, right? Pro-life. But potentially the other side of the fence, the, the, uh, the Democratic Party would say, let's do justice. Let's take care of those moms. Let's, let's provide uh, programs and money to help them and support them, right? Mm-hmm. And so the kingdom of God is both of those, right? right. We need to do both of those right. together. And so we need a vision of a, of a kingdom of God party that's way bigger than the Republican side or the Democratic side that embodies the the the... the the law of God and the grace of God. Both are there. Relationship, the heart change, as well as the outside change. We right. need to bring those together. Yes. And with, with the politically divided church and church shouting each other, that's not going to happen. Right. And so that's what we need to pray for and search for. Mm-hmm. How can we legislate, but how can we come alongside those moms? How can we love them? How can we adopt the babies? You, you and your family, you know, you're pro-life. You would vote pro-life, but you voted with your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you voted by adopting children that would have lost their lives if, it was, if you wouldn't have done that. Yeah. That's what we need. That's what the church needs to be to embody that. If we really want to change America, right. that's where the gospel, that's gospel creativity. That's yeah. what we need. That's powerful. Yeah. And I want to, we're going to wind down on that. How can we make our stance bigger than our issue? That's what Buggy's talking about right now. How can we, we need a bigger vision. We need a, a more hard-hitting, more practical at every level. Uh, you know, we're highlighting one because it's the easiest target, and, and, and people have such passions around this. And so we're gonna we're gonna literally wind down on that idea. That's our last point for this episode on thought. How can we make our stance, kingdom of God, bigger than our issue, abortion as a standalone, right? And so we're gonna come back to that in a second. But I just wanna I wanna give this hypothetical because this thought occurred to me the other day. And, and, I, and I hope that people can be rational and logical when they sit down and they ponder this fact for a second. What if, what if all the energies, lobbying, and dollars funding the pro-life movement organizationally, campaign, nationally, at the national level, maybe, even, maybe it's international, I'm sure it is, were redirected to the source rather than the symptom? Can you imagine that all of those, I mean, I, I could probably sit down and find out how much, how, mu- how, much, how many out man hours and how many dollars go into that as a lobby, as an official organization, the pro-life movement and group. I'm sure it's unbelievable. I'm sure it's a lot. We have friends who have donated. We have friends that have gone to the March for Life, friends, leaders at this church who have done that. And, and, and again, it's not a knock on that, but the, I want people to get into a thought exercise. This whole episode is about thought. Get into a thought exercise. If all of those dollars and hours and energies were redirected to get in the household of a woman or a couple or a family who was who was pondering, you know, their intimacy, getting pregnant or or an abortion. If they could get in their lives, just think about it. The impact we could make. If that's not totally clear, I think about the hypothetical. We often do this as pastors and church leaders. You know, if the church were really the church, if the church 
you know, had the attendance of all the people of the United States and had the, the generous financial dollars of all the people that came to their churches, they, we could put the government out of business. That's the constant parallel we always used to use. I haven't heard it in a long time, but that's what we used to say. At least our local government, we could put the subsidies, we could put the social um, institutions that are in place to, to bail people out and help people out. The church could do it. That's the type of parallel that I'm creating for this idea about counseling, marital support, individual support, broken families. That's source. Someone who has a baby who's not ready to take that baby in has a myriad source issues that are at the heart level, they're at that mental level, across the board, the bodily level, where uh, I just I just want to picture, because that's my response to the people that say, um, you know, Ben and Bucky, you're just abdicating responsibility. This is dangerous speech. This is moving the moving the agenda off of pro-life and how we need pro-life candidate, pro-life policies and, and, and pro-life laws. You know, you're, you're moving it off. Well, I just I just view it all together differently that those energies are already being deployed, but they're but they're there to serve symptom, not source. I think people should wrestle with that. Yeah, I mean, in one stance, uh, legislation, which, again, we're not saying it's not needed. Right. Um, if I look at my own life, it's much easier for me to go and vote uh, every two years or four years for a law. And that just takes a little time and thought, and I go past my ballot. It's much harder to lay down my life. Yeah. It's much harder to go to those people and establish a relationship, open my home, open my wallet, serve them every day, in a discipleship thing and try to bring them into the kingdom of God. So there's a heart change, right. which will create a different kind of a life change for the unborn child. Yeah. You know, that's that's dealing with the symptom. That's good. Not the symptoms, dealing with the source versus the symptom. And so that's that's what convicts me, right. you know. Right. So, right. Um, but that's the harder call, right? Mm-hmm. That's the call of, of discipleship. That's so powerful. And, and it goes back to our very first point. The politics of Jesus is not voting once a year, but voting with your life every day. Yes. And it's so true. We want, we so often want the easy out. Even giving a, even giving dollars is, is easier than spending hours and spending time um, definitely casting a vote or even mobilizing, showing up for, for, for you know, uh, a march or a rally or whatever it is, is easier than investing day after tireless day, thankless job. Because sometimes you don't see results. You've done this, you know, a dozen times in the last three years of doing church work with you with homeless people, where you've tried to take them by the hand and reach them out of the pit of darkness and out of bad habits and out of generational sin. And how many times have they turned your back on, their back on you? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's tiresome yeah. and, it, and you don't see the fruit of your work, but it, it, is, it is the grunt kingdom work that Jesus was about and we, we should seek to emulate. Yeah. So I think that's really good. And, and I think um, we have to be, again, remember this episode's about thought. Beware of toxic thought patterns, false thought patterns, thought that's just tr- created off of a mythology, junk news, fake news. You know, some stuff that I think you're seeing on your social media threads right now, you guys, is junk news. It's leading you to a thought pattern that says, you know what, the left is just the party of abortion. Or, you know, the right is just the party of racists. That's making, we need a bigger stance than just the one issue. Um, you know, here's a, one more thought exercise you could do. Riley and I have been do- doing this as we look at both of our Instagram um, threads. We see that Christians want to hyper-spiritualize and hyper-demonize both uh, the other party, the opposite opposing party. Can you find scripture? And this is the book we read and we, the series we went through together. Can you find scripture that supports both parties? Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. You totally can. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the thought exercise is that um, if you have an issue thing, 
and you you have a biblical stance. Um, let's say it's pro-life and it is the abortion issue, and we're totally behind that. Uh, but where's the other side pro-life? You know, there's some commonality there because the Democrats would say we're pro-life because we care for the poor, right? And so it's not just the unborn child; it's also the poor, mm-hmm. right? And and so it's bigger than that. So how can you? How can we bring those two together? How can we see a dialogue? How can we see uh, bringing a bit bigger vision, especially in the church that's divided politically? How do we unify under a bigger banner, which is the kingdom of God, and be pro-life across the board for the unborn child, but also the poor? and the broken that needs us just as much. Right? Yeah, that's huge. So. No, that's so good. And I think that's getting into uh, part two episode. A lot of the pushback I've gotten as I've tried to advocate for these positions, which is the scripture, mm-hmm. which is the Bible, which is the preeminency, uh, preeminent nature of Jesus following and being formed around him. And that my platform and my policy issues, my people and policies are secondary to that. A lot of the pushback I get is, so you're saying do nothing. So you're saying, and they could, I'm sure that's going to be misconstrued from, from this part one episode. Oh, you're saying that we shouldn't even give to pro-life causes or policies or, or, or time, effort. No, no, that misses it. And in fact, um, I think there's all kinds of action uh, that we can take practically, functionally. You've, we've already scratched the surface of that right now. You can be in the lives of people that are hurting, broken, suffering, broken families, broken homes. You can be in those lives every day. You yes. can find a next generation person and mentor them and come alongside them. Yes. That's a preview. Yeah, it's not, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Right. And the, the kingdom is always bigger than that. So right. yes, certainly support the causes, give money to it, but give your life, right, to mentor and be involved on the other side as well. So right. how can we be both those things? Yeah, and I'll give you one more that's not in our notes for the sec- for part two. When we talk about action, it's going to be all action, 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 answering that question, well, how do we, Ben and Bucky, how do we prevent from just sitting back and doing nothing and just having great ideas? I'd like to see this. I'd like to see scripture to get back center stage, man. I really would. I'm not one of those guys that's, you know, critiquing other churches for not being doctoral enough. And I'm not, I'm definitely not the first in line of our own staff saying we need more theology training. We need more, you know, Bible classes here as a church. It's not me, but, but I sense the, the void we have right now in the quality of our national conversations as Christians, the quality and content of our national conversations right now as Christians. Christians are Christians right now, and how void of the, the spirit they are, how void of scripture they are, and, and therefore how void of Jesus they are. Because if we, if it, you can't get the word without having Jesus bubble out, pour through, enter in. And, you know, that's one of my favorite verses. Jesus says that, you know, talk about source symptom. A good man is good from a treasury of good in his heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And vice versa, he says bad, right? A, a yes. bad treasury, ba- bad things pour out of the treasury of a bad heart, mm-hmm. the source that is bad or good. That's where the things come out from. So I think everyone, as in just an you know, encouragement as we wind down, a final note, this is my final word here, I'll give you one, Bucky, is we need, to put the, we need to put the Word of God back center stage in our conversations, our relationships. Yeah, it's contemplation and action. Right. So if you're more action-oriented, where's the contemplation, where's the formation in the Word of God around your life so that action comes out uh, of a connection with God's Spirit? Uh, what about those that are more contemplative, that want to pray and spend time in the Word? That's great. But the Word always brings forth fruit. And what is the fruit? What is the action that's going to come out of your time in prayer and contemplation that actually brings the kingdom of God into your community, into your circle? Because that's where Jesus is calling us to go there and be the embodiment of the kingdom of God. So we need both. Yep. 
both. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about contemplation in part two. If you're interested in that idea or any of the other action steps that we recommend, you got it. You got to tune in for part two, you guys. Thanks for listening to part one, which has been about thought. We are with you, man. We're, we're real people with real jobs, real families, real friends, real neighbors, having the same conversations around what does the future hold? Uh, should we be unsettled by these election results? We're in the waiting with you together. So if this episode, part one, has been helpful to you, just share it, rate, review the episode, post it, uh, share it with someone who needs to hear it. Uh, it's really hard to find common sense and to find Bible-based encouragement right now. So um, I would just say, don't just hide this light for you. Use it for someone else who needs to hear this common sense encouragement from this part one episode, special election episode. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll Thanks, see you guys. Part two.